This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. For other viewpoints, thank you for joining us. That actually was the opinion of the station, but other stuff is not the opinion of the station. Support for KMUD comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup. They are underwriting our upcoming show, which is Ask Your Herb Doctor. They are an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. And Golden Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information is available at goldendragonmedicinalsyrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. And KMUD thanks Jessica Baker of Jade Dragon Acupuncture for her support of Redwood Community Radio. Practicing traditional Chinese medicine, Jessica treats conditions ranging from sore eye assist to post-traumatic stress. Located at 607 F Street, Arcata, Jade Dragon Acupuncture can be reached at 822-4300. And we've got Ask Your Herb Doctor coming right up. Welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Uh, for those perhaps who've never listened to our shows, they run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, we're both licensed medical herbalists who qualified in England with a degree in herbal medicine and uh, produce our own certified organic herb extracts here in the USA, in California. And we have a practice here in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions. Once again, uh, we're very pleased to uh, introduce Dr. Raymond Peake to the show, who's going to share his wisdom with us. Uh, This week, or rather this month, uh, the day's topic is uh, the subject of palpitations, but it also interweaves uh, many current uh, subjects related to palpitations, which are things like the the hormones, uh, progesterone uh, especially, uh, and also other factors uh, associated with blood clots, uh, myocardial infarcts, and uh, 
other cardiac events that are uh, pathologically uh, bad for us. Anyway, uh, to cut a long story short, uh, let's welcome Dr. Pete to the show. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Pete. <coughs> okay, so um, what I think we wanted to bring out this evening was the uh, subject of palpitations, and I know that uh, there's many other factors involved in palpitations, but we're going to probably home in on a couple in detail. Does um, Dr. Pete want to give our listeners a detailed description <laughs> of his, um, his background? Yeah, I forgot to ask you, didn't I? My fault. Oh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's not get, very, get not very detailed, back. but I did <laughs> oh, Sorry, study, brief description. Yeah, uh, I studied physiology at the U- University of Oregon uh, for several years, uh, 1968 to 72, and uh, the... Um, Circulatory system wasn't my main interest, but uh, I ran across interesting work done in the 1940s by uh, one of my science heroes, Albert St. Georgi, who uh, happened to be studying uh, the effects of estrogen and progesterone on the heart of animals and blood vessels. Uh, And uh, his work exactly matched what I was uh, doing in the... animal aging and the effects of those same hormones. Right. So I was interested in the circulatory system as it relates to the endocrine system especially. Right. I, I know your main, your main interests are uh, anti-aging and hormones surrounding uh, stress and aging. Um, I think a lot of what we thought we knew from mainstream medical education and the regurgitated popular news, the media, uh, it seems pretty erroneous in the light of published albeit rarely included, research that's available. I'm specifically referring to the ongoing hormone debate, and uh, we'll get into HRT as a subject perhaps a little later. Uh, But for now, with a common thread throughout tonight's topic of palpitations and the cardiovascular effects together with the papers that are published showing the dangerous effects of estrogen and the beneficial effects of progesterone and testosterone as well as thyroid hormone, what are we to understand of the misleading advertising surrounding estrogen's supposedly positive effects? Um, it's the um, the standard thing that what gets into the news or uh, the science journals or the universities. It's strongly influenced by the giant corporate interests, uh, and estrogen happens to be uh, a very profitable thing, multi billions of dollars per year. Uh, so they they can control the the public. Uh, perception of of the hormones in their interest. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of the idea of uh, uh, selling estrogen as a beneficial thing was that women live longer than men, and since they were selling estrogen as the female hormone, uh, they said that uh, it must be estrogen that accounts for why women uh, live longer and have lower incidence of heart disease uh, before menopause. So at one point, uh, they actually uh, did a, a trial of giving estrogen to men, and when they started having more uh, heart attacks, uh, they stopped the, the experiment. But uh, that didn't uh, kill the idea that estrogen is heart protective. And so for uh, 50 years they carried on promoting the idea 
of giving estrogen to women to protect their heart until the Women's Health Initiative uh, results came out with women having more heart attacks uh, on the estrogen trial. So why did, why did they start with estrogen? Why didn't they start with progesterone? Uh, because um, there's only one product, one substance that really uh, has the effects of progesterone. And uh, just about anything uh, that is interfering with the use of oxygen has estrogenic effects. Um, several extracts of soot were uh, demonstrated to um, be estrogenic, the polycyclic uh, aromatic hydrocarbons right. are uh, very estrogenic. Uh, even uh, cyanide has some estrogenic effects, or uh, putting a plastic bag over an animal's head, or irradiating uh, any part of the animal uh, with x-rays or gamma rays is estrogenic. So uh, the concept of, of estrogen is, is something very easily brought to market in a product where progesterone is one single molecule that uh, can't be uh, imitated exactly with any alteration. And what about the price difference to obtain, to manufacture estrogen versus to manufacture progesterone? Um, yeah, the fact that soot extracts uh, <laughs> are estrogenic uh, means that um, you can uh, produce it for less than a one cent per dose if you want to, uh, where progesterone has to be exactly duplicated. For years, they were extracting it from uh, the corpus luteum of sow ovaries, and it took uh, tons of ovaries to produce a few grams of progesterone. So they found how to manufacture it from uh, plant steroids that were closely similar in structure. Like wild yam and trillium and other herbal products. Yeah, with a few chemical uh, alterations, uh, they could become exact copies of the progesterone molecule. But since no one uh, could patent that one substance, uh, they introduced small uh, changes, making it no longer progesterone, but uh, the said it was close enough to progesterone, but it would be better than progesterone hmm. because they had a patent on it and, <laughs> and could uh, advertise it. And uh, they devised tests that uh, had something in common with the real progesterone molecule, uh, a certain change in uh, cells of the uterus, but in, that let them call it uh, a progesterone or progestogen, uh, because it had something in common with progesterone. But they implied that it supported gestation. But in fact, these were the chemicals that were the basis for the birth control pill, because they prevented uh, gestation. So really, they should be called anti-progestins. So there's so many different things they can patent and manufacture a drug from the soot, which is just, you know, black soot from a fireplace, I guess, right? Yeah. And um, all those other things you mentioned, whereas progesterone is, you know, it takes a lot of ovaries and a lot of plant material to produce it, so it's much more expensive. And also then the effects in the body, then 
estrogen has um, a, a, I wouldn't say you didn't say it has a wider range of effects than progesterone, but that it's well, it, it does. It affects every system, but in pretty much exactly the opposite way that estrogen does. Um, any tissue that's injured will begin producing its own estrogen. So the idea that a woman is estrogen deficient at menopause is just a complete fabrication. Uh, someone was measuring the estrogen manufactured in an, a monkey's ovary, and to um, measure the change from the blood going into the blood coming out of the ovary as a control, they measured the blood going into the arm and the blood coming out of the arm of the same monkey and found that the monkey's arm was producing more estrogen than the ovary. And since uh, women at menopause still have their arms and legs, uh, there's no way that they're uh, going to have a decrease in in the basic estrogen. So there's another medical myth that we've been told, is that in the menopause, you're suffering from lack of estrogen when, in fact, you're suffering from a lack of progesterone. Yeah, that that has been demonstrated and published, but in books rather than journals. Uh, the journals are so controlled by the industry uh, that uh, you get real science in, in a lot of books that never uh, gets into the uh, medical indexes or journals. Or at medical school, people are not taught what the research is showing. Uh, yeah, the medical schools teach what the medical journals publish, and that's always at least uh, a generation behind the, the science journals. Yeah. Like 50 years. It takes 50 years once they prove something, right? 50 years for it to come into practice? Um, yeah. I, I compared the uh, biological abstracts publications or the chemical abstracts on topics related to medicine to the Index Medicus, which was the print forerunner of PubMed, and found that typically uh, even the most important things took 20 years before they were mentioned in Index Medicus uh, after they were already in a, a generally accepted scientific uh, existence. And uh, the first mention in the medical literature was generally uh, that it was um, not a valid medical concept. And like vitamin E, uh, medical journals um, for several decades were saying it was a very dangerous substance and shouldn't be uh, taken. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good job it comes around, albeit slowly. Um, I wanted to ask you, the uh, getting to the uh, subject of palpitations, I know that uh, quite a few quite a few people that we've uh, come into contact with in uh, practice have mentioned palpitations as being a, uh, a feature of their uh, physiology, if you like, and they complain of it. It may not be their major, the major thing that they uh, come in to consult for, but palpitations seem to be fairly high amongst the people that uh, we've seen. And I know that you've mentioned palpitations are being uh, probably recognized more frequently as a, um, a sign. So, so far as so far as the uh, the heart and the hemodynamics are concerned, um, 
I know that you've mentioned, and it's been shown in research, that estrogen actually precipitates arrhythmias, whilst uh, progesterone has have, uh, shown to have an inhibit, inhibiting effect on arrhythmias. So would you perhaps explain the physiological interactions at work uh, which cause muscle contraction in the first place, and then listeners can follow the outline, and then we can get into the subject of the actual palpitations? Uh, one of the very recent articles on that topic uh, concluded that Estrogen causes sudden death, uh, sudden cardiac death, and progesterone prevents it. And uh, what they were talking about was the uh, arrhythmia caused by uh, prolonging the excited phase of the heart action. Uh, and the, the uh, electrocardiogram has uh, several phases and the last phase of that is called the repolarization wave or the T wave. And uh, when that has repolarized the cell, the cell is ready for a good, strong next beat. But if, if it uh, is delayed by uh, staying in the excited state too long, uh, it, the, the um, atrium uh, might send a signal uh, for a new beat and if it superimposes on that excited state, uh, the cell can't recover enough to have a proper full beat, so it'll have a slight premature uh, convulsive movement, but not an effective pumping stroke unless it has fully repolarized. And um, estrogen is um, uh, the um, basic thing that tends to extend the excited state. Um, it's similar to what happens in epilepsy uh, during periods of greatly excessive estrogen. Uh, the brain cells uh, can't get out of the excited state, and, and there's an epileptic seizure. Uh, progesterone prevents that by uh, quickly accelerating the restoration of the readiness state or the relaxed state of the nerve. The same thing in, in the heart muscle or skeletal muscle, uh, any kind of cell that's excited is uh, quickly restored by um, either progesterone or, or thyroid. Both of them have the uh, energy-restoring effect in slightly different ways. Um, the, um, the thyroid increases the energy production needed to relax the, the nerve or muscle. Uh, progesterone uh, stabilizes the relaxed so that it can hang on to the energy produced by thyroid, uh, where estrogen interferes with both of those processes, uh, slowing the action potential is what they call the excited state electrically. Okay, good. All right, just want to let people know, uh, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. And from the 7.30 to 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions related or unrelated to this month's subject of palpitations and uh, cardiac events surrounding them. Uh, if you're in the area, the number's 923-3911. If you live outside the area, the number's 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Um, we're very pleased to be joined again by Dr. Raymond Pete, um, and he's our guest. Uh, so people can either call in with questions related or unrelated. Okay, so, um, yeah, you mentioned the other thing that... Uh, thyroid hormone is also uh, able to allow muscles to relax um, and that this 
is another way of uh, showing that the energy that's necessary to allow that relaxation is made possible through thyroid hormone. Uh, when, when the cell is in its excited state, uh, besides the electrical uh, changes that are being measured, uh, many other properties of the cell are changed. Uh, for example, uh, one of the immediate uh, obvious effects of estrogen excess is that cells take up more water or or release water more slowly. So uh, in this uh, one second or, or fraction of a second state of excitation of a nerve or muscle, the cell momentarily takes up a little bit of water, swells up a little bit, and then as it relaxes, it squeezes the water out. And uh, so if, if you are having the premature contraction and uh, not letting it relax fully, the cell is actually getting a little waterlogged with each of these false beats. And uh, that's an effect that estrogen has on uh, every every place that it acts, whether it's pituitary, uterus, uh, breast tissue, or, or heart, or nerve. It's um, causing a slight waterlogging and swelling of that cell. So is this... Is this why that so many women had heart attacks then when they did the HRT trial was because the estrogen they were taking was suppressing their thyroid and causing the water logging and blocking the progesterone, and they just had an elevation of estrogen? Yeah, yeah one of the differences between heart failure in women and in men is that the diastolic or relaxation phase is more often defective. Uh, or obviously defective in women. And uh, in that uh, uh, poor uh, diastolic relaxation, uh, the, the cells become progress- progressively more waterlogged and uh, unable to relax. And in that uh, overhydrated state, uh, they also can't get rid of the calcium that, that comes in when the, the water enters. And, and so it, uh, it ultimately uh, can lead to um, actual calcification of the heart. Uh, there was a picture uh, published by uh, the Mexican Heart Institute of uh, a very old woman's uh, calcified heart. It looked somewhat like a bone. And uh, there was a famous uh, uh, story, 19th century story, about uh, someone who was uh, cremated and had a a limestone heart. Uh, I think the idea for the story came because people actually do get such highly calcified hearts. Uh, But it's really the um, the end stage of that chronic overhydration, overexcited inability to relax. And this is all, it's all principally because the calcium is being taken up and deposited mm-hmm. in, in the tissues. Okay. Uh, the other thing I wanted to bring out was that um, the oral contraceptive use in uh, women over 37 uh, was related, if they were smoking, was related to a much higher incidence of uh, stroke and heart attack. Yeah, there have been a lot of theories about that. I suspect that uh, the fact that estrogen increases the carbon monoxide in tissue uh, probably overlaps with the high 
chronic exposure to carbon monoxide of smokers. Okay. Uh, so you, uh, let me think now. <coughs> Did you um, the, the air pollution, carbon monoxide, is highly associated with uh, increased heart events and hospitalizations mm. for heart attacks. Okay. So in, in terms of uh, palpitations, what would you see as being a kind of uh, a, route, a route to get to in order to uh, uh, restore somebody's uh, ability to have normal, normal contractions? Um, there are a lot of things other than the electrical property of the heart or, or the hydration. Uh, the blood volume is one of the factors. Uh, for example, uh, high estrogen women uh, are susceptible to uh, varicose veins ultimately or uh, before that uh, just uh, swelling or distension of the veins. Uh, for example, putting your hand uh, straight down, sometimes the veins on the back of the hand swell up and the legs tend to do that in the uh, high estrogen phase of the menstrual cycle. And when the veins in the legs are distended, uh, much of the body's blood supply is in the legs, and so it isn't coming back to the heart at the normal speed. And uh, this means that in that condition, if the woman stands up and her blood tends to fall into her legs, there, there will suddenly be a smaller return to the heart so the, the heart doesn't have a, a very much blood to uh, beat, so it has fast little strokes because the blood simply isn't being returned. And so that situational uh, arrhythmia or tachycardia uh, is, is not necessarily connected to the, <clears throat> the electrical instability, but simply to the, the way the blood isn't getting sent back to the heart. But that, again, is linked to high estrogen causing the veins to distend and to swell up. Yeah, um, progesterone uh, increases the smooth muscle tone in the wall of the uh, veins. And, and so if your progesterone is deficient, the, uh, the veins bulge with a very slight uh, pressure on them, just like holding your hand. Uh, if you hold your hand at your waist, uh, if your progesterone and other things are right, uh, you won't see your veins. But if you're low in progesterone or under stress, uh, even at waist level, you're likely to see bulgy veins. So there you go, women. There's a good way to see if you're aging or under stress, is if your veins on the back of your hands are bulging at waist level. I frequently look at our clients and analyze what the veins on the back of their hands look like at, at that level to see how um, well their body's responding to supplementation. Okay, well, you're listening to Ask Your Herb, Dr. Ankei Mudi Gaupal, 91.1 FM, and from now until 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in either about the subject, which we have Dr. Raymond Peet's expertise sharing with us, which is palpitations and other cardiac anomalies, um, or any other questions that people would have also. So the number to ring if you're here in the area is 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, 1-800-KMUD-RAD. And I think we have a caller on the line. Hello? Are you on the air? Hi. And where are you um, from? Can I ask where you're calling uh, from? Oh, hi. I, I, I'm from New Jersey. Okay, cool. 
Now, my, my phone is really uh, poor quality, so I'm going to try to keep this short. Um, uh, first, I appreciate what you all do. I have many questions, not only for Dr. Pete, but also for Drs. Murray. But also, I saw some, but however, today on um, Dr. Pete's site, I saw something that I think maybe he would want to know about. Um, there is a SENSA weight loss system linking to one of your pages. And are you aware of that? No. Um, let me tell you which one it is. It's the article, Calcium and Disease, Hypertension, Organ Calcification, and Shock versus Respiratory Energy. And um, it's, this, it's on, in a sentence that says, that begins, a low-protein diet similar to that eaten by a large proportion of women, and then it goes on from there. But the words protein diet are, are a link. And when I pressed, I wanted to see what you had to say about that. I was taken to a commercial for Sensa. Wow, thanks for warning, Dr. Peter, about that. Yeah, thanks. Would you like me to write a letter to the FTC to complain? I'll, I'll take a look at it. Um, could you email me? Uh, do you have my email? Um, no, would you like me to email the station or something? Um, well, my website has my email. Yeah, go straight to Dr. Oh. Pete's website, his email address. Well, if you go to Dr. Pete's website and push on contact, you can email him. Maybe you can copy and paste the link. Okay. If you, if you, okay. Go, if you go to... Um... Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that. But now, since this thing came up, me personally, I'm not in any danger of taking Sensa. Um, I, I assume it's junk, but especially when they act like this. Yeah. But... Um, what is, you know, uh, what is your understanding? What is Sensa? And on a physiological level, what happens when we take Sensa? What is that? Yeah, I've not heard of it either. Do you, do you know what? Do you know anything more about it? Is it, is oh, it an acronym? A, oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. It's I've seen commercials for it um, where you sprinkle something on your food and it makes you not, and somehow you don't eat as much. And I'm wondering if it's like uh, it cha ta changes the taste of food or so they say mm. enhancing the taste of food and therefore you don't want to eat as much and now that just sounds like msg to me or something yeah, yeah i never heard of it oh okay okay so um i'm going to leave it there then and um i will uh, e email the link okay and just for our listeners if you want to contact uh, Dr. Pete, you can go onto his website at www.raypete.com, and you can. There's a little Google search area. You can put in something there. So you put in contact, and then it'll come up with his contact details, and you can email him through his web page. Okay, it sounds. It sounds like it, the, the last caller had come across something uh, very useful to know, Dr. Pete. So I'm, I'm glad glad for that. Thank, that someone, thank you. I'm going to sign off. Yeah, Be thank well. you. Thank you for your call. Somebody's Be obviously well. inserting some malicious uh, hyperlink into one of your articles, apparently. So, uh, good, <coughs> excuse me. Good to good to hear about that. And I would imagine that the sensor is probably probably junk. So, uh, okay. I don't know if we had any more callers on the air. If we do, let's take the next caller. Uh, well, this wasn't entirely human health related, but somebody just wanted to say how excellent Maria, the new assistant at the Garberville Vets Clinic is, because it was a medical show, so 
they put that out there. And, and I'll personally ask, uh, what's the herbology of nettles? I've been eating a lot lately. What's the what of nettles? Nettles, stinging nettles, like nutritionally and whatnot. Right, well, uh, they contain a lot of calcium, actually. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the probably the herbs that contains the most calcium. Um, so obviously we, uh, we recommend people to consume egg cells as a source of calcium because they're even richer. But the, uh, it's a very pertinent question in some ways, Michael, because this time of year it's probably the most nutritious time to eat nettles. So when they're about 18 inches tall, you can cut them just down to more or less ground level and uh, steam them in a small colander inside a pan with just a small amount of water and uh, steam them for about 10 minutes. When they become very limp and flaccid, they go fairly brownish in color, but that's not a problem. And the liquid is beautiful. It tastes so mineral rich and uh, will contain quite a lot of calcium. So it's one of the, it's also an antihistamine for uh, allergies, etc., for people that are suffering from seasonal rhinitis and those kind of things. It's a perfect time of year to make your nettle salad. And I like to put olive oil and a little squeeze of lemon. Absolutely. I and a little that. cheese on top. And of course, <laughs> a little feta cheese doesn't go too far. Okay, good. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody else on the line, so, okay, looks like there's one more call. Let's take this next one. Hello? Hi, you're on the air, and where are you calling from? Um, I am in Eureka right now. I'm from Southern Humboldt, though. Eureka, California. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I was interested in the heart palpitations or the estrogen and progesterone conversation, but you had mentioned um, briefly that there's something to do with the effect um, of seizures of epilepsy as well with estrogen. Is, did I misunderstand that? Uh, blood what? Uh, there's a connection. She's asking about the connection between epilepsy oh, and estrogen. Oh, oh yeah. Um, uh, I've got an article on my website about that in detail, but it's been known for around 70 years uh, uh, that there's a premenstrual type of epilepsy, and yes. that eventually led to animal experiments in which they showed that the ratio between estrogen and uh, progesterone mainly uh, is what governs the stability of nerve cells as much as any cell. But uh, when the ratio is too high, just a slight uh, stimulation can set off uh, an uncontrollable volley of activity uh, leading to to seizures of different types. Okay. Okay. It's uh, correctable very easily by um, metabolically lowering that ratio, increasing progesterone, and uh, excreting estrogen faster. And this can um, you can figure this ratio out by asking your doctor to do a blood test for estradiol and progesterone and looking at the ratios between the two. Okay. And Dr. You, a friend of mine has exactly that with her cycle, so it, she'll be thrilled to find this out. So it's on your website, though? There's a whole article on his website. Okay. All right. Thank, All right. You, thank, thank you for your call. Okay. I think we have another caller. Actually, we, we had a caller who would like me to tell them more about eating nettles and how I eat the nettles. <laughs> and okay. the one important thing is that the nettles do not sting you once they've right. wilted they or don't. if no, no. you've you can, cooked them a little bit. You can chew them right on, and they don't sting. It's pretty amazing. Uh, so <laughs> what I do is I actually I go with the glove, and I grab the very tip of the plant, and I snip off just the very, very tip, mm-hmm. even though they are mm-hmm. only 18 to 2 feet 
you know, just a few yeah. feet tall. And then uh, I saute onions and I throw them on top of the onions. And I've been making mainly Indian food with them where I dump uh, Indian curry spices and sour cream on it and make like sog and peas and stuff. Mm -hmm. Or else I make soups with it. And you said uh, to steam them for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I find they cook a lot longer than you'd think for that. So I cook them 20 to 30 minutes even. And for people with sensitive digestions, if you don't, if you if all that fiber is a little bit too much for you, if you do boil them and then drink the liquid, right. that's where well, most of the minerals will come out into anyway. So it's also very nutritious that way for people with more sensitive intestines. And I'm steaming, uh, I'm steaming just the very, very top little growing tip that I snip off, so there's not much stem fiber. And I was thinking about chopping more of it down to feed to my chickens, but as it is, I just kind of <laughs> trimmed the patch. Okay. And if you're really careful with your fingertips, you can snip them off without gloves. I was trying that, but when you do it for a few hours, you end up getting stung a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. <laughs> okay, so just, are open. just to remind uh, folks, if you're listening, uh, we've got Dr. Raymond Pete with us again, sharing his wisdom on physiology and hormone uh, physiology in particular, uh, w with relation to palpitations and uh, cardiac uh, Failure. Uh, the next question, if you, and let me just say again, once again, if people are in the area, it's 923-3911, or if you live outside the number, the number's 1-800-KMUD-RAD. So, Dr. Pete, uh, talking about myocardial infarct, um, I read an article here saying that uh, prostaglandin uh, synthesis, uh, prostaglandins being an inflammatory mediator, uh, causing kind of vasoconstriction, uh, is actually uh, relieved by progesterone, uh, and both in angina and myocardial infarct, uh, progesterone is uh, a pretty important compound if it can be got to a, uh, a patient in a very short order because it will actually uh, restore this system. Uh, it's very much like uh, cortisol as an anti-inflammatory uh, inhibiting the uh, many different kinds of inflammation-promoting things, but prostaglandins are probably the most important ones for people who eat uh, uh, quite a bit of unsaturated fat. Uh, but uh, it doesn't have the harmful side effects of uh, taking cortisol or, or the synthetic glucocorticoids as anti-inflammatories. So is this like you, if you have a heart attack and you take aspirin very shortly after or progesterone, do they, do they both work the same way in blocking prostaglandins? Um, yeah, they both... Uh, stop the inflammatory process which leads to uh, tissue damage and uh, the uh, brain is more sensitive in many ways than the heart and uh, there has been research going on now for several years showing that uh, if you can get a big dose of progesterone to someone who has had a potentially fatal head injury uh, they will have a, a high survival and recovery rate because the progesterone uh, stops the uh, progression of, of brain damage. Right. But it, it does the same thing to any tissue that's injured, uh, yeah. stops the progression by uh, reducing inflammation. Right. So for traumatic brain injury or myocardial ischemia or any other event like that, it's a pretty, a pretty restorative compound. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think we have a caller on the line, so let's take the next caller. Hi, you're on the air. Yeah, I came in at the end of the discussion about heart palpitations and hormonal imbalance. I was wondering, is it estrogen dominance or low estrogen that typically causes the palpitation? It, it's estrogen dominance, or okay. poor ratio, a poor ratio of estradiol to progesterone. 
even if the progesterone is maybe fake progesterone in the form of birth control, that can lead to the heart palpitations you're discussing? Uh, some of the uh, synthetic progestins, so-called in birth control or others, uh, actually have some protective effects. Uh, there's one called drospirinone that is probably the closest to natural progesterone that they've come up with in function, and it's being used uh, to treat uh, heart failure, for example, where natural progesterone would would be the best overall treatment. But this is a, a, a patented uh, drug that is now being accepted because it it opposes the pro-inflammatory effects of aldosterone, the uh, the salt-regulating steroid hormone, which progesterone is the natural antagonist of that. But uh, this uh, synthetic is a very relatively safe uh, drug for protecting the heart against uh, uh, failure and fibrosis and inflammation. But are you aware that they use that progestogen in the birth control pill? I, I think there is a, either that or a very similar one in a European birth control pill. Yeah, I, was going, I don't know how personal I'm allowed to go or if I'm allowed to talk about a particular product. I'm curious because I had a terrible, terrible time while on the Mirena IUD, and that type of synthetic progesterone is what I believe, and not knowing much at all, triggered my kind of intense bout of palpitations. I'm wondering if you're familiar with Mirena uh, no, I, no, I don't know that one. I'll look up the actual drug name in Marina, and then um, maybe we can help you out a little bit better there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm wondering if it was maybe, I just I'm, I have no idea. To me, it was the only thing that could have caused my palpitations. I had it removed, but I'm still experiencing them cyclically during ovulation, and I'm wondering if that's just kind of normal as my body adjusts. But <laughs> like I said, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask too much personal stuff. Uh, was that an IUD, did you say? Yes. Yeah, um, a progesterone-releasing uh, IUD. Uh, yeah, just the presence of an irritant in the uterus will lower your natural progesterone. And, and so even if it's releasing a progestin, I think it's uh, likely that the effect is by reducing your ovaries' natural production. And over time, my body should begin to produce natural progesterone again, hopefully. Um, yeah, as soon as the irritation stops and if your diet and everything else are good, uh, it'll recover quickly. Okay, so just to, I looked it up and it's levonogestrel. Levonorgestrel, releasing intrauterine system. That's the progesterone form. But I guess if you said if the presence of an IUD is going to be increasing estrogen and irritating the whole system, then um, grated raw carrot is a great way to lower estrogen, keeping your proteins up and saturated fats. Those things that all help get your... Um, what was the first? I'm sorry, what was the first thing you mentioned? Grated raw carrot. Raw carrot. Okay, cool. Well, very good. I was just so interesting. I turned on the radio and this is exactly what I was experiencing. So thank you very much for your input. Thank you for your call. The uh, the grated raw the grated raw carrot, by the way, is, is there basically to mop up excess bowel estrogen. So and it, other toxins. Yeah, and other waste products. So it does have a very real effect in uh, lowering uh, excess hormone from the bowel. Okay, so we've got two more callers on the line. 
Actually, they're both. I ask for them. First question was, was a comment saying that juicing nettles is excellent, best spring tonic ever. So juice your nettles in a wheatgrass juicer. And the second question, it's a little long, it's a little long for me. Uh, when progesterone is rubbed into the skin, apparently it doesn't go into the body except as one big lump. And would you please talk about skin? It sure does. Dr. Pete, go ahead. Um, what was the last phrase? It doesn't go into the he body. Said into the skin. He, <clears throat> when it's rubbed into the skin, it goes into the body as, what do you say, Michael? As a big lump, according to the caller. But, <laughs> I, you know, comment it's, on skin progesterone cream. It's, it's very absorbable, right, Dr. Pete? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, if you um, stick your finger in it, and if you're familiar with the taste of progesterone, in about a minute you can taste uh, the progesterone, the same idea as putting cool. uh, DMSO on your skin. Uh, the progesterone uh, just goes right through so that you can uh, get, get the systemic effects pretty quickly through your skin. Right. I've rubbed on a, a lady who had heart failure. I've rubbed proge- uh, olive oil on her arm, and then I rubbed progesterone, probably about a teaspoon of progesterone, which had about 90% um, vitamin E and 10% progesterone. And within half an hour, the veins on the back of her hands were completely flattened. And to start with, they were very elevated. So it definitely gets absorbed into the skin pretty quickly. It's just quantity and um, quality. Quantity of how much you use and the quality of the product. Okay, there's one more caller. So let's uh, let's take this next caller. Actually, it's another. I asked the question for them. Ah. How do you spell your name? And you don't have to answer this. How old is Dr. Pete? How old? <laughs> how old are you, Dr. Pete? Uh, 76. And uh, he wanted to know how you spelt your name. P-E-A-T. P-E-A-T. Like the peat moss yeah. that you can burn, that I smells know. wonderful to burn. We, we tell people regularly. I'm surprised Michael had to ask. <laughs> anyway, okay. So I think uh, he's talking to another caller who's coming on in, but uh, at this point in time he's not flagging me that it's anyone uh, actually there. Okay, so... I wanted to pick up where you left off last, uh, talking about aldosterone uh, as being a, uh, a bad, being a bad uh, compound in the body that I think we're naturally exposed to as part of the kind of kidney and renin angiotensin um, system. Um, yeah, uh, there are several things that will start that uh, process towards hypertension and uh, inflammation and degeneration. Uh, low blood sugar is enough to start the process uh, signaling your kidneys uh, to send out uh, renin and and, uh, uh, starting the process to uh, produce aldosterone. Um, Not eating enough salt is another thing that raises uh, the aldosterone. Uh, If your blood vessels leak for any reason, if something makes them permeable, such as hyperventilating, uh, you lose a little blood volume, and anything that lowers your blood volume or sugar or sodium will cause your uh, kidneys to activate the uh, process that ends up increasing aldosterone. And the aldosterone uh, has the uh, central function of making you not lose sodium so fast keeping the sodium inside your bloodstream helps the blood to absorb water so that it it doesn't go form edema it stays 
in the circulatory system uh, nourishing the tissues. But the side effects of that essential uh, regulatory aldosterone, the side effect is to uh, lose, instead of losing sodium, you lose potassium and magnesium. And the loss of potassium and magnesium are uh, very important in uh, causing the heart rhythm uh, problem. Uh, the the uh, repolarizing uh, restorative process of the heart muscle uh, means that the cell can retain magnesium and potassium and excrete the excitatory sodium and calcium. And, and so if you're um, restricting uh, salt or having uh, hypoglycemia or losing blood volume for any reason, uh, your aldosterone is going to tend to make you lose the stabilizing magnesium and potassium, and all of your cells will tend to become uh, unstable electrically and functionally. Mm. Excellent. So is this why premenstrually women tend to swell? Is this another reason why? Because with a dropping progesterone, they have rising aldosterone? Um, yeah, um, in, in uh, protein deficiency is another thing that will start this whole process. And salt deficiency. Uh, protein, salt, um, sugar. Sugar. Yeah. Hypoglycemia. Well, another, another excellent reminder. Thank you, Dr. P. I know you've mentioned uh, several, several times on many different shows how important sugar and salt are, contrary to popular belief. Um, I think we've got one more caller on the line, so let's take this next caller. I think there's another coming in, so... Caller, you're on the air? Yeah, hey. Hi, uh, where are you calling from? Uh, Phillipsville. Phillipsville. Phillipsville, California, folks, okay. Go yeah. ahead. I'm right down the road. Yep. In the studio. Um, I am sorry, but I tuned in, like, less than 10 minutes ago, but this information is very relevant to me. I would like to like, continue dialoguing with you after the show, if that's possible. Um, I am dealing with lupus myself. And I have a grand mal seizure like once a month in association with my menstrual cycle. For a while there, it was typically like the night before my period started. I'd have a grand mal seizure, and it seems to me because of my response to B vitamins that it's associated with a drop in my progesterone. Right. So I've been listening to you guys just now, like talking about like protein levels and aldosterone. And I've also registered as having low sodium for an extended period of time, but like my doctors debated about the source of that, like because I also had SIADH, the syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone, like I was just retaining too much fluid, but I also just incurred a brain injury, and so cerebral salt wasting was another diagnosis. It seems like these things all go together, though, mm -hmm. from what you're saying, sodium and progesterone. Um, behind uh, the balance of aldosterone, estrogen, and progesterone is the thyroid function, and uh, Thyroiditis is something that goes along with lupus, too. Uh, low thyroid is the main cause of that inappropriate uh, loss of, of sodium. Uh, uh, the hospitals don't seem to realize how, uh, uh, how important that, that loss, sodium loss problem is, especially in older people, but under the influence of estrogen, it happens, too. Well, 
Well, I, I know from my research that like the seizures that go along with lupus, catamenial epilepsy, go along with low progesterone or low estrogen. Like it's my own assessment that it's low progesterone, but I just had my blood drawn a couple of days ago. Like I'm finishing my menstrual cycle right now, but I had a regular sodium level. And so it seems like maybe cerebral salt wasting was what was going on. I'm just saying, like, I don't, I'm sorry for, like, coming into the middle of your show. Like, I'm going to try and get a copy of it myself. But, like, I really would like to dialogue with you. Okay, well, no problem. At the end, at the end of the show, uh, if you either call in or um, it's probably the best thing, you can call in and make a... Well, what we can do is um, give our contact details at the end of the show. And we work with Dr. Pete. And also, um, you can listen to the whole show on the audio archives on kmud.org. So if you want to listen from the beginning, you might find that interesting. As as well, what's, the, what's the name of this whole show, then? Like, how do I find it? Okay, so how you go on to kmud.org, and you go to Audio Archives, right. and then you do Friday Night Talk, and you look for today's date, which is March 15th. It doesn't say the title of our show on there. It just says okay. Friday Night Talk Show. And then you scroll down until you find the date, March 15th, 2013. You can either listen to it or download it. And then we'll give our contact details and Dr. Raymond Pete's contact details out at the end of the show. Um, so are you guys are you guys not around here? No, we're in Garberville, and Dr. Pete lives in Eugene, Oregon. Oh, well, dang. Okay. Well, cool. Thank you, sir, right. for interrupting. Oh, we'll no, look forward no to problem. hearing from you. No problem Thank you for your call. Okay, next caller. <clears throat> yes, uh, interesting program. I hear mostly women calling in. I have a case of, uh, I think they call them rope veins. One leg, and and pretty much my veins have always kind of stood out. I'm uh, interested if any of these the dietary thing or some of these treatments you were talking about, uh, like what would happen if I rub progesterone on my skin as a male? Uh, is that not a? I heard earlier, I think you mentioned that uh, it caused some heart problems. Uh, is there some treatment for that that uh, isn't quite so drastic as what I've read online? Uh, although some men do use uh, progesterone uh, very successfully often for varicose veins, I think the, the best thing is to start with pregnenolone uh, using it orally because that will uh, normalize. It, it can produce uh, testosterone, DHEA, as well as progesterone, and so it'll tend to keep your uh, hormones more in balance than uh, applying big doses of of progesterone. Uh, okay, what, what was the name of that again? A uh, pregnenolone. And you can find it at uh, where are you calling from, caller? I'm um, just outside of Redway, a little bit. Okay, yeah. So at Chautauqua, they'll have pregnenolone. 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 And it's a precursor for all of our steroid hormones. Oh, okay, okay. All right, great. Okay, just, just, just to make sure that you heard the name, it's Preg, as in pregnant, Pregnenolone. Oh, preg. Oh, okay. Yeah, P-R-E-G-N-E-N-O-L-O-N-E. -E. Okay. okay. But it's, a, it's a found in men and women. It's made from cholesterol from our liver, so it's a, a very common okay. hormone in everybody. All right, Michael says he's got a quick question here. We can squeeze in before the top of the hour. About how much sodium should a 155-pound, 42-year-old male intake? Um, your taste and craving would be the best uh, way to judge because uh, 
everything affects it. Your thyroid hormone, if your thyroid is a little bit low, you need lots more uh, sodium in your food. Uh, if your thyroid function is good, you can get along with a very low sodium intake and not have any problem. Uh, the reason uh, women tend to have salt cravings around ovulation or, or premenstrually or in pregnancy is because uh, the, the excess of estrogen and low thyroid or low progesterone uh, causes them to lose sodium. But if your thyroid and hormones are good, uh, you don't have to worry at all about adding salt to your food. Okay, Michael, so it's all about your tastes. And also, too, um, if, if you're having a comprehensive metabolic panel done, you'll see a sodium level on there. And sometimes if people are not sure how much they should be eating and they're not really craving it, it, it sometimes it can be low even in that sort of situation. And on that same test, the albumin works with the sodium uh, and thyroid to regulate uh, the volume of your blood and therefore uh, all of these uh, functional energy electrical systems okay well thank you so much dr p i think we're going to have to uh, call this the uh, top of the hour thanks so much for your help and uh, we'll just give out your details okay thanks okay all right so dr raymond pete uh physiologist and uh, endocrine specialist uh, can be uh, reached online as a wealth of information uh, lots of articles, some of which uh, were already mentioned uh, by the people this evening. Lots of articles that are fully referenced, scientific, uh, scientifically referenced uh, journal articles. Uh, his address is www.raypeat.com. And so the articles can be uh, looked at, uh, and or he can also be contacted from that page. So lots of information, uh, most of which you won't find anywhere else, folks. So I'll, I'll tell you this, most of what he's, uh, he's producing, it's there in research. We just don't, it just doesn't come to the mainstream uh, attention. Like he said, it can take 20 or 30 years for supposed new ideas uh, to actually come to light. So well, not just new ideas, proven ideas. Proven ideas, excellent. I mean, okay. proven, not ideas, <laughs> proven science. <laughs> proven facts. Okay, so anyway, a wealth of information there, and uh, don't be surprised if what you read uh, doesn't sound like the things that you hear on TV uh, because you're not likely to. So what you're going to get from him is uh, where the, the actual facts are. So uh, go and take a good look and, um, yeah, email him if you want. Okay, so for those people that have called in tonight, thanks so much for your calls. Uh, our details are... We can be reached toll-free 1-888-WBM-HERB, which is 926-4372, or that's the toll-free number, or locally, 707-986-9506. Okay, we, uh, we have a website, but it's not worth looking at, folks, because it's far too outdated, so don't even bother. Uh, but we have email addresses, and that's another good way, so Andrew or Sarah at westernbotanicalmedicine.com. Uh, thanks so much for people calling in. I uh, really appreciate your, uh, your input. And um, Dr. Pete, once again, thanks so much. We look forward to joining you next month, Good on night. the third Friday of the month. And came on thanks Jessica Baker of Jade Dragon Acupuncture for her support of Redwood Community Radio. Practicing traditional Chinese medicine, she has, Jessica treats conditions ranging, ranging from psoriasis to post-traumatic stress. 
Located at 607 F Street in Arcata, Jade Dragon Acupuncture can be reached at 822-4300. And support for KMUN comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information is available at goldendragonmedicinalsyrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. It's 8 o'clock. Get ready to get funked up because... Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive. 